I needed that this morning because as we will spend a couple more weeks in this sermon within a sermon series, we've been going through Matthew 5 to 7, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We've been talking about what it means to be a city within a city, an alternate city when it comes to relationships across race, ethnicity, culture, class, gender. Um, two things. I know how we're going to start. I, quite, I don't quite know how we're going to end this sermon today. And that's very unnerving for me because I like to know exactly where we're going and how we're going to land. I don't know today. It's kind of open. Secondly, um, this sermon's sitting very heavily, heavily on my heart because this week as I prepared, it brought up a lot of things. Do you know how we, like painful things, we kind of bury deep inside? Painful things result of being hurt by friends, family, culture, church, pastors, leaders, spouses. And then an event triggers something and it just kind of, you know, um, and you realize that you're still dealing with stuff. That's where I was this week. That's where I was this week because um, um, a pastor that I deeply respect in California um, posted this picture on his Facebook with this caption. It's a picture of um, a red guard young woman posing. And the caption was, typical attitude of the Saddleback staff as they start work each day. The image was a poster used by Mao Zedong regime during the Great Leap Forward, which was a brutal four-year campaign from 1958 to 1961 in Chinese history that resulted in deaths of almost 40 million people. I don't know if you could tell because it's kind of small, but the post received a lot of likes. People were like, I like that, I like that, that's funny. You know, likes and over some 4,000 likes. Um, this is one of the reasons why I hate Facebook. I don't know why I'm on it, to tell you the truth. I, I don't. I, the only reason I think it's because it enables me to connect with people I meet overseas and friends I haven't seen in a while. But everything else is really super annoying. Anyway. This was deeply offensive to many in the Chinese community. And when a number of people called on Rick Warren to apologize, recant, this is what he initially wrote. It's not up there, just pay attention. People often miss irony on the internet. It's a joke, people. If you take this seriously, you really shouldn't be following me. Did you know that using Hebrew ironic humor, Jesus inserted certain laugh lines, you know, jokes, in the Sermon on the Mount? The self-righteous missed them all while the disciples were undoubtedly giggling. Which, of course, didn't help the situation because a lot of people were like, so if I'm offended by that, I'm self-righteous Pharisee. Or if I think that's funny, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Okay. But here's what the image represents. And this is what one of the many Chinese-American brothers and sisters wrote. He wrote directly to Pastor Warren. He said, has any red guard ever raped your mother? How about having your joints dislocated and quartered by horses? How about having your arms hung up in an awkward position until they're dislocated while being beaten merciless with all sorts of torturous devices? How about being made to stand near naked in freezing temperatures outside. Do you know why, Mr. Warren, so many immigrated to the United States? They did to get away from the image that you just put up. You just reminded all of them the nightmare they left behind and for what? For a joke on Monday? I know your intent is not to make light of suffering, but the effect of your post has done exactly that because you have no idea. And then it got really messy because a lot of people came to Rick Warren's defense. And these are 
Christians and church folks. So this is back and forth. And so typical defense of Rick Warren was something like, Pastor Rick Warren, you're such an inspiration to us. That was funny. You people, in this case, you Chinese people, need to get over yourselves. You don't get humor. You can't seem to say anything funny without offending someone these days in our political correct society. And on it went. Rick Warren eventually issued an apology on Wednesday. Um, some people didn't think it was much of an apology. Um, and this sat really heavy on my heart, not just because of my brothers and sisters who are Chinese, of Chinese descent, but it sat really heavy on my heart because this isn't the outside world. This is the church behaving like this. These are Christians and followers of Jesus. And by the way, when someone of another culture says that something you did really hurt and offended them, the thing not to say is, it's just a joke. The thing not to say is, I didn't mean it. The thing not to say is, you need a sense of humor. The thing not to say is, make light of it. The thing to do is to say, I am sorry, period. The reason why this sat really heavy on my heart is because, and I'm going to be very, very vulnerable to you this morning because I almost never talk about things like this, but the times that have been the most difficult for me pastoring this church has been when someone without clear knowledge of where my culture comes from, and I was just sharing with Daniel today. He said, so how's it going with Pastor Victor being on board? And I shared this to him. I said, the one thing that Victor has brought to our staff is this. He's the only other staff in our church who's truly sort of bicultural, meaning we both weren't born here. We came here later on in our years. And so I really appreciate having a brother who functions a lot from his native culture. And for me, one of the more difficult things about pastoring this church has been that many of you look at me and go, he's Peter. And I have deep Korean sensibilities. And when they've been offended, I normally never speak up. I just hold it in. And my wife said this to me. She goes, you know what's happened to you? You worked and grew up in the Korean church and then you swung the pendulum the other side when you came to this church. And in your attempt to be everything to everybody, you just, and I'm like, you're right. I am becoming like, I am becoming my father. I am becoming my parents as I get older and have my kids. I'm gravitating more and more towards who I am as a Korean Man. And this whole thing just ruffled things up in me that just had me in a really bad place all week. Really bad place all week. And then I mourned. I just mourned. I just mourned for myself and my self righteous racist attitudes. And I mourned for church. I mourned for Christians. I mourned. I mourned this week. And I realized that it's okay to mourn. I realized that it's okay to mourn. I realized that the last thing we should do, you guys, is at the end of these sermon series, wrap a nice little bow and go, so we're okay now. That's great. Let's just get on. I think it's okay. Because some of us are feeling really uncomfortable right now. Just to kind of sit and just mourn and go, it's broken. We're broken. We live in a broken, messed up world. And it's okay to just mourn that. The Bible calls it lament. Just kind of, you know, just lament. The reason why I think it really hurt and hit home for me this week is because not just of my own self-righteousness and my own issues, but it's what we've been talking about, you guys, and why this is so important for the church. And we began here. Let me put up a couple of passages. Colossians 1.19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth and heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I just really need to accentuate this because you need context. Many of us need context to why we're talking about this. Next slide, please. We say that God, and you, this should familiar, sound familiar to you, God is on mission to reconcile to himself all things. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was nothing less than to reconcile us to Christ, reconcile us to one another, and furthermore, reconcile us to God's purposes in the 
world. The gospel is about reconciliation. The gospel is about reconciliation. Reconciliation literally means to put things back together, seeking to right wrong relationships. And the Bible says that this individual, corporate, cosmic work of reconciliation is what God has been up to. That's why when many of us, this is where we grew up, we boil down reconciliation to a vertical relationship with God. We boil down Christianity to us being saved from hell so we could be in heaven. It's a truncated, misleading gospel. It's not the fullness of the gospel. The gospel says that God is out to reconcile all things and all things includes us and God. All things includes us and alienated and hated and torn apart racial ethnic groups to each other and yes, the broken world. The entire gospel, that's what Christ came to do, to restore and fix all that. Now, What is God's instrument? Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says that it's the church, the church that's you and me. We are God's instrument for this restoration project. We are God's answer to the world to reconciliation. We are. So the question needs to be asked, then what ramifications does that have for ethnic and racial reconciliation? If the church is God's instrument, there's two. Here's one. One, it means that we must demonstrate in our lives together the work of racial reconciliation. That means that we here must demonstrate in our lives together that we make the invisible kingdom visible, that we display to the city of Chicago that's segregated, that's split, that's torn apart. We demonstrate in our lives together this work that God is doing to heal and to restore all things. We demonstrate together that we are God's witnesses. And we remember that we don't just possess the message. We are the message. We are the message. We are, if there was a time when, especially in this country, in this city, we needed to remember, we don't go to church, but we are the church, this is it. That we're the message that the world is looking and going, really, God has power to do that. And we say, we don't just possess the message. We are the message. We are the gospel message. Come watch how we do life. Secondly, though, it means that we become agents of racial reconciliation. See, I thought about this. I thought about why there seems to be this, this in some ways, gap. That the same rationale for why we care about the poor is the same reason why we should care about racial reconciliation. The same reason why we care about AIDS and war and other things that result in the brokenness of our world. The same reason and the rationale is the reason why we go, I care about racial reconciliation. Why? Because God says our role as agents of reconciliation is that wherever there is brokenness, wherever we find division, wherever there is things just messed up and broken because of sin and injustice and evil, that we pour our hearts and lives into those spheres and areas and go, what is my role? How do I become an agent of reconciliation, of putting things back together again. And the challenge for us, and my, my, my aim today is pretty simple. It's got one thing, and that is for some of us, we look at the cross and we go, I get it, holistic reconciliation. I get it, individual, corporate, cosmic reconciliation, as I did last week. Uh, can, can I, I'm sorry I'm going to do this again, because last week I did this, and some of you felt really uncomfortable. You like wanted to rush up here, because you felt like I was like desecrating the cross. I, I, what I was doing was, I think we desecrate the gospel message when we do this. The Bible says that God, in his work on the cross, through his son Jesus, not only reconciled us to God, but that he reconciled us to each other. And when we fail to display in our life together, and when we fail to live out our life as agents of reconciliation, the only thing that the people see is a vertical be reconciled to God component, and they fail to see the reconciled to each other component. And the aim this morning is to go, is that even in the Bible? Is that even in the Bible that I should care about that? 
Is that even in the Bible that I shouldn't just go, well, that's just an add-on to the gospel. Or, well, you know, that's something that some people who are called to do. That's something that some good Christian, no, no. That all of us who follow Jesus are called to this life of reconciliation. That's my aim this morning. So I want you to turn your Bible to Ephesians. I'll show you. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is essentially an elaboration of Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 23. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, that God's power has been demonstrated, shown in raising Jesus Christ from the dead and installing him as Lord over the entire universe. In his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ, Paul makes his key throughout chapter 1, in his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has conquered Satan, sin, and death. And when we come to Ephesians 2, Paul is essentially answering this one question. So how is victory, how is this victory of Jesus over sin, death, and, and, and Satan demonstrated? How is Christ's victory, triumph over Satan, sin, and death demonstrated? And he does it in two parts, verses 1 and 10 and 11 to 21. Verses 1 and 10, you're very familiar with. I'm very familiar with. We even memorize some of these verses. We pick up in verse 4. So here it is. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And you know these verses well. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's just be really clear about the context. Really clear. Paul in chapter 2 is saying Christ has conquered Satan, sin, and death. How is that demonstrated? Verses 4 to 10 he goes this is how it's demonstrated. One way. He reconciled you to God. He healed you. He saved you. He says, do you remember when you were in bondage to sin and death? Do you remember when you were so addicted to that thing that you never thought there was light of day? Do you remember when you were so addicted to sin and so dead to sin? Do you remember when you were held captive by Satan that you felt like you were literally living a life of death? Do you remember that? And then he says, do you remember how God in his amazing grace came and delivered you? Do you remember how he just came? Not because of anything you did, not because you were good, not because you're moral, not because of merit, merit and righteous things you've done, but because of his grace and mercy, God entered into this world and in your life, and he set you free. And guess what? He says in verse 6, so today you're seated at the right hand of God. Praise the Lord. He says you're seated at the right hand of God. Can you get more secure than that? Answer? No. He says you're not under condemnation if you're in Christ. You're where? At the right hand of God. He says, you're not in judgment to sin. If you're in Christ, you're aware. See that at the right hand of God. He says, that's what Christ has done. He says, this is a powerful demonstration of his victory over Satan, sin, and death. And then he goes, oh, and I'm going to just continue my argument of how Christ's victory is demonstrated over Satan, sin, and death. And then we pick up in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Understand, in the mind of a first century Jew, a Gentile. Gentile would be an African, an Asian, Syrian, Greeks, Romans. In the mind of a first century Jew, Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. In the mind of first century Jew, when he called the Gentile uncircumcised, he spit it. To a Jewish family, when their child married a Gentile, they held a funeral to say, our child is dead. That's the relationship between the Jew and Gentile. It went both ways, though. The Gentiles looked at Jews as being almost subhuman. Why? They looked at their history and said, they've been oppressed by one group of people after another. They're not, they're not even worthy of being fully human. Up to this point in history, two people could not have been more hating towards each other. And then look what Paul says. By the way, by the way, please, 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 please. Remember what he's talking He is continuing his argument saying, this is how Christ's death and triumph over Satan's sin and death is demonstrated. Look what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose, 
was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Let's be very, very clear. Paul has been saying, here's how Christ's triumph and victory over Satan's sin and death is demonstrated. He delivered you out of the grips of Satan and you're now seated at the right hand of God. And oh, by the way, here's another way that his triumph over Satan's sin and death is demonstrated. He reconciled two people who hate each other to be one in Christ. That's Paul's entire argument. He says, you want to see how God's power, how his triumph, victory over Satan's sin is demonstrated? He reconciled you to God. And then he reconciled two hated people groups to each other. And he says, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And the amazing thing is, you guys, when you actually read all the verses carefully, neither of these reconciliations, that is reconciliation of us to God or reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles, is prior to the other as if one was more important or significant than the other. Throughout these verses, Paul goes from, he reconciled you to God. He reconciled us to each other. He reconciled you to God. He reconciled us to each other. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to say it is one work of reconciliation. In one body, Christ, uh, verse 16, Paul says, Christ reconciled both to God through the cross. John Stott, one of my favorite authors, in his commentary on Ephesians says this, the vertical and horizontal dimensions of the peace are interwoven in such a way that it is impossible to speak of one without referring to the other. Is that powerful? Is that po- That's so powerful. He is saying, when you read Paul's letters, if you just read Paul's letters, you go, God reconciled us to God. He says, you are missing the entire point of his epistles. He says his epistles continually go, God has reconciled you to God. That's amazing news. But God has also reconciled us to each other. That means that ethnic and racial reconciliation is not just the result of the gospel. Listen, it is a vital aspect of it. That means it's an imperative. That means to sit passively by and go, I'm not a racist. I don't have any prejudice, discriminatory feelings towards anybody. I'm good. And do nothing is to miss out on the essence of the gospel. That means to go, you know what? That's for them. That's for those people who are passionate, who are gifted, you know, called to racial reconciliation. That's, that's an add-on to the gospel. Paul says that's entirely missing the point. The church has a dual mandate. One, we demonstrate in our lives together the reconciling power of God. And two, We go to places of brokenness in human communities and ask, how do I become an agent of reconciliation here? Let me ask you a question. Is that the gospel you're living? Is that the gospel I'm living? Or are many of us passively, that's not my issue, I'm good with everybody, I even have some friends that are diverse. Are we passively sitting by and going, not my thing? One of the things that really sat heavily on me this week, again, reading Paul's argument, is he goes, roots of racism are spiritual in nature. Paul's entire argument, Ephesians 1, has been, you've got powers and principalities that have separated you from God. And he's going, chapter 2, you've got powers and principalities that are separating people from each other with hostility. Do you know why this is so weighty for me? Because it reminds me, listen carefully, that education alone is not enough. More conversations are not enough. More conferences are not enough. More enlightening political actions are not enough. It requires the people of God fasting and praying and asking for the rule and reign of God to come supernaturally among us. Jim Wallace has an amazing article, Sojourners. Go check it out. Google it where he makes this powerful, compelling case that spiritual roots of racism is something that the church has yet to deal with. That's why we forget that this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. 
That means it's hard. That means it's costly. Where's our encouragement? Our encouragement is this, because you know what? If it was just up to you and me, we should pack it up and go home, no? Yes? If it was literally up to us and our goodness and our smart wisdom, if it was up to us, we should pack it up and go home. But here's what Paul says. Paul says throughout his letters, maintain the unity of peace. You know what he says? He goes, the most hardest work, the hardest work has already been done in Christ. Amen? The hardest work of reconciling you to God and reconciling you to each other has already been done. Christ has in triumph over Satan, sin, and death broken down dividing walls and he has created the supernatural oneness among you that you have no opportunity or power to create among yourselves. But Christ has supernaturally done that in his name. And so therefore, our role is to maintain the unity of peace. Live out what is already true of us. And to me, I breathe a sigh of relief and I go, God, that's challenging, but that's doable in Jesus' name. Because if it was just up to us, and we go, we have to make this happen, let's pack it up and go home. But God says, what you cannot ever do, I've done through my son. So the challenge is enormous. Don't minimize it. But he goes, there's hope. There's hope. So he goes on. Verse 15. He says, his purpose then was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. In the first century, a new word came up that nobody had ever heard before. The word was third race. Third race. Nobody heard that before. Why? To their minds, the first century, there's only two races. You had Jews, you had Gentiles. But a derisive name was made up by the Romans, to describe a group of people, call them third race, because what they were doing was something that they'd never seen before. A Jew and Gentile, arm in arm, walking into the market, singing. A Jew and Gentile, giving each other holy kisses on the cheek. A Jew and Gentile, raising their children together. Was anybody else blessed by the dedication today, just looking up here? You need to understand, these are folks who are literally trying to help raise one another's children First century, Jews and Gentiles raising their children each other. Jews and Gentiles marrying each other. Jews and Gentiles burying each other in the name of Jesus. Jews and Gentile no longer calling each other by their first names. Why? In their culture, uh, no longer calling each other by their last names. Why? Because your last name signified your status in society. And they said, everybody else in our society separates one another by social status. We don't. So we're not going to call you by your last name. We're just going to call each other by our first names. Literally, what was happening in the first century world within the Christians that blew the minds of the world was they were living out what Paul says happened in Christ when he says in verse 15, in himself, he created one new man. And the Greek word literally is kainon anthropon, a new humanity, a new human race. And the ramifications could not be bigger. Because what Paul thinks, when you think about race of people, you don't just think about how they look physically. When you think about race of people, you think about culture. When you think about culture, you think about hundreds of ways in which you do things. Hundreds of ways you have in common. Your worldview, your value system, your priorities. What you think about marriage, how you raise your children, what you think about education, how you spend your money, how you, how, what do you think about your sexuality. All of these things, all of these things comprise of a certain culture. And what Paul literally says is, in Christ, he has brought these people who have nothing in common, hate each other, and he's creating a new human race, a new human race, a new community in which there are profound connections to each other. Profound connections to each other. A new culture that's been created with profound connections to each other. And Paul is saying the church is supposed to be this new human race, not a club. A club is where we go together because we have one or two things in common. A club is where a group of people who have nothing in common come together for one or two common things and then they do that thing and then they go home. And Paul says a church is not a club where people come for one or two common things and they go, Paul says a church is a place in which even though you have nothing in common from where you came because of Christ, you have thousands of connections. You know what this means? I've said this before. 
This means that in a church like this, I have more in common with a single mother who is also a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ and has embraced that than I have with people that I grew up with. This means that in this church, there's a brother or sister. It's stuff like happens. This you guys, some of you that you've traveled overseas. You know, when I was in Colombia, I was there with like eight, nine different folks from eight, nine different countries in South America. And even though I can't even speak the language, staying up into the wee hours of the night, barely understanding with the translator, staying up, and literally holding that guy's hand, holding that guy's hand, Omar from Mexico with big dreads. He's a skater. And talking about reaching people in Mexico. I don't even, and I just met him. And just weeping at his heart for the people that he wants to reach. And I'm going, where else does, oh, that's supposed to happen in the church. In the church, we come from thousand different backgrounds and cultures. But in the church, because of what Christ has done, it's as if we have more in common, thousands of connections more in common with each other in Christ than with someone else we grew up with. So here's the question I want to ask you. Here's an acid test of whether you have embraced the gospel. Is there someone in your life that you could look at and say, the only reason why we're friends is because of Jesus? Is there someone in your life that you can go, the only reason why we're friends is because of Jesus. There's no other explanation. Why? Because where I grew up, frankly, my racism and my racist attitude would have kept us apart. Frankly, where some of us grew up, zoning laws and other real estate laws would have kept us apart. Frankly, where I come from, my commitment to my in-group my commitment to be accepted by the people I come with would have kept us apart. Frankly, where I come from, all of these other things would have kept us apart. But Jesus, that's the only explanation. Is there someone in your life, in this church, that you can look and go, there's no other explanation except Jesus? And the question that I've been wrestling with you guys, not only this week, but this entire sermon series is, is new community a new human race or are we a club? Are we a new human race or are we a club? I'm going to get really specific. If the only reason why we're here is because we like the sermon, we're a club and we're not a new human race. The only reason why we're here is because we like the praise and worship and the vibe in here, we're a club, we're not a new human race. If you come with the same people and you leave with the same people every week, we're not a new human race, we're a club. If we're here because you love the mission of the church and yet you never get deep relationships with people who share the same mission, we're a club. We're not a new human race. Are we, New Community Church, a new human race? Or are we a club? Are there connections here that go far deep beyond where we came from? So much so that we look at each other and go, there's no way we could be friends if not for Jesus. And that's pretty amazing. Are we a new human race of people or are we a club? So there's a second question we've been asking throughout this sermon series. Can you identify ways in which you have been fundamentally changed as a direct result of your interactions with people of different ethnicity and culture? Can you identify ways in which you have been fundamentally changed as a direct result of your interactions with people of different ethnicities and culture because we've been saying how do we become agents of reconciliation and heal a divided country if we can't even do that in here how do we even begin to with credibility and integrity witness to the world when we can't even do that in here I still don't know how I'm going to end this so I'm going to just talk about the gospel and then we'll figure out how we're going to end this I have people come up to you and go, Pastor Peter, I'm really hurt by so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so in our church because they just don't get it. And I go, are you, why are you surprised? The reason why I talk about the gospel so much is every single one of us, regardless of where we're on the journey, we need the gospel. Amen? Amen, church? 
Here's the reason why the gospel, I preach on it. It's not just about this issue, but particularly on this issue. Do you not know that every single day of your life, you have this thing called a comparison apparatus, the comparison app, that you and I come out of our mother's womb with this desire to compare our, sorry, sorry about that. It was just baby dedication. I, just the whole thing. Anyway, start over, okay. Every single one of us come out of our mother's womb, whether it be through a C-section or through whatever. Um, <laughs> dig, dig, digging deeper. Every single one of us, I'm start one last time. Every single one of us come out and we go, the only way that I find security is I got to find somebody to compare to and go, I'm better than you. That's how I feel better. Every single day. You're going to get up tomorrow morning and without even noticing it, subconsciously, you're going to get up and go, who do I want to feel better about? Now, you don't do this consciously. You don't go, who do I want to feel? You, subconsciously, boom, you get up, you go, compare, snap, right? do, 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 do. So we look at race, ethnicity, culture, education, ooh, spirituality, morality. We go, I am better than you. That's how we feel good about ourselves. Until and unless the comparison apparatus is completely destroyed by the gospel, you will live the rest of your life comparing yourself to other people, swinging from superiority complex, I'm better than you, to inferiority complex, I am the worst of all. The only thing that can disable the comparison app, if you will, is the gospel. Why? Verse 16, Paul says that on the cross, God put to death their hostility. Here's the thing, though. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21, nothing died on the cross except what? Nothing died on the cross except what? Jesus. So what God says, he put to death the hostility. Nothing died on the cross except Jesus. Do you know what the gospel says? Here's this. You and I have been hostile to each other. And we deserve being hostile. We deserve God's hostility towards us. We, 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 we are self-righteous towards each other. We ourselves are deserving judgment. Hostility and the division. We have divided. We have fought. And the division, the fighting, and the hostility, and the hatred should have fallen on us. We do it to each other. We deserve it. But here's the thing. Amazing about the gospel. Who did the hatred? Who did the hostility? Who did the division? Who did the anger and the wrath fall on? Us? Me? For our hostility? For our division? On who? On Jesus? And the only thing that will take us and humble us out of our pride to constantly compare ourselves to other people is the gospel that says, God should have been hostile to you. But Jesus Christ took your hostility. You've been hostile to each other, judgmental, self-righteous towards each other, and yet God took what you deserve and poured on Jesus. If that hits your heart, if that really hits your heart, there's nobody you look down and go, it doesn't matter how they smell, it doesn't matter how they look, it doesn't matter their education level, it doesn't matter their spirituality, there's nobody that look and go, I feel better than, no, you can't if the gospel of Jesus Christ has broken through. Because you look at the cross and go, I deserve that for my hostility, for my racism, for my prejudice, for my passivity. I, but I didn't get it. Why? He got it. So it humbles us, and then it emboldens us too, though. Because it's not enough just to go, well, God, I'm humbled by you. Because if you don't have the apparatus disabled and something else comes in to replace it, you're going to constantly compare yourself. What replaces it? The Bible also says that Jesus Christ, when we want our saved, doesn't just get our punishment, but what? We get his righteousness. <laughs> Anybody here just tired of being insecure all the time? Actually, you and me, I guess. Because for those of us that are just tired of being insecure and constantly trying to puff up our security by job, relationship, money, success, fame, constantly trying to prop up who we are, and we're tossed back and forth in this ocean of uncertainty, you know? Because on days when we're doing good, we feel really good about it. On days when we're doing bad, we feel really bad. Constant. Do you want to completely just stop doing that? The only thing that could even put you on that journey is realizing, in Christ, I'm secure. He's given me his righteousness. He's given me acceptance. When I become a Christian, not only does Jesus take my punishment, but God says, I look at you and I see a holy, righteous, perfect, accepted son or daughter of God. Has that broken through? Has that broken through? Because if that doesn't break through, welcome to the comparison apparatus club constantly. Who are you looking around this room today and going, well, I feel good about myself because I'm better than... And it's so subtle. 
But as long as that apparatus is at work, we will never experience true community. Speaking of community, we not only need the gospel, we need community. If you're here and you can't identify a single reason why you personally need people from different ethnicities to enrich, inform, and transform your life with Jesus, then you need to ask how profoundly you're allowing your culture and not the gospel to shape your understanding of the gospel. And when we're talking about community, we're talking about interdependence. We're talking about investing in one another in such a way that we realize we need each other. We literally need one another to see God. I got this email from Mike. Carlton, can I get your help, please? I got this email from uh, Mike Chen. Um, Hey, Pastor Peter, hope you're doing well this week. I want to thank you for tackling such a difficult topic with this series. It does my heart good to see you taking on such a hard subject from the pulpit and exhorting our congregation to wrestle with it too. I just wanted to share with you something encouraging that I experienced this week in my small group. I know one of the practical points you mentioned in this series was standing up for people of different people groups and challenging racism and stereotype when you see it. But this week with the whole dust up about Rick Warren's Red Guard Facebook post, it really struck a nerve with me, a bit, bit of context. Having been born in Taiwan, we grew up hearing stories about how both sets of my grandparents fled China. My mother's family were thrown off their ancestral farm during the Cultural Revolution by the regime, represented by the Red Guard, and had to flee to Taiwan as political refugees. And I recently found out that the farm and the land was confiscated and given to a local member of the Communist Party shortly after they left. My father's parents also had to uproot to flee to Taiwan after World War II during that time on fear of death. So I hope you can see how Rick Warren's post feels like a bit of a slap in the face to my family. So given this, I was expecting to have to do a lot of explaining to my, about why Rick Warren's joke was offensive and why it bothered me when I was at community group this Tuesday. However, however, before I could even broach the topic, it turns out that several of my non-Chinese small group members had already read about what had happened, researched the history, And some had even personally written to Rick Warren himself expressing their outrage. This floored me. Well, it's a small gesture and not one of those things that combats the systemic brokenness all around us. I have to say, it really did good for my heart to see my community group stand up and say, that's not okay. On behalf of people group they themselves are not members of. I just wanted to share this with you and let you know that in some ways our church is starting that work of true reconciliation, trying to put that horizontal cross piece back in place. I know uh, how I want to end actually today. I hang out at Letizia's right before service on Sundays. I get there around 7.45. And there are small groups that meet there. And all little small group, and they kind of, you know, women with women, men doing their thing, and they completely ignore me, and I ignore them. That's okay, you know. I'm only your pastor. <laughs> but it's amazing to me. I watch. to represent the best of our church. And today, Amber, Amber Adams was there early and I approached Amber. Amber, can you wave? I just approached her and I was like, hey, Amber, how's it going? I don't know if we've ever met. Say hi. How long have you been to our church? And she goes, oh, about two years. And then I felt really stupid because I'm like, two years? Good thing I didn't do the whole, are you new? No, I've been here two years. Thank you very much. Michael, have the microphone, please. And I said, I said to Amber, I said, How's the servant series speaking to you? And she's like, and she talked, and then the tears flowed. And I was just like, I said this to Amber. I said, Amber, I might open up some time at the end of the service for some people to share about what, even though how unbelievably hard the journey has been, what are some of the ways in which we've seen glimpses of us being disreconciled, community, new community? And I told her, I said, you can share if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to because I'm going to leave the floor open just for a few minutes. And so let me make it very, very clear. 
if there's anybody today, and we're going to do this a little bit more next week, and we're going to be done with this part of the miniseries, who says, let me tell you how hard it's been and how difficult it's been. But let me also share with you where I'm seeing glimpses. And here's how I'm seeing glimpses through this community. I'd love it if you could take a moment to share with the rest of our church. Just raise your hand. And the one you have the mic is because I wanted this to be recorded. To our podcast. Anybody? Come here. Now, you have to tell them that I didn't ask you to do this. Because they know they think I did. Go ahead, tell them I didn't ask you to do this. He did not ask <laughs> me to do this. <laughs> um, so I was um, raised in a Christian home, um, grew up Pentecostal. Um, and for several years, went to a church where people looked like me, talked like me. Back, same background as me, and then I relocated to um, Chicago here in Logan Square about two years ago. Came to New Common, it's a little different, <laughs> um, but I'm a part of a small group that just blesses me so, so much. Because I have brothers that are Japanese and sisters that are Caucasian and Mexican and Chinese and it's so real and it's so genuine and life is so hard but when you have those people to do life with and you learn and you're pulled out from your own ignorance um, you just grow that much stronger in Christ um, and you just see the the gospel just you know so much more real and it's just been such a blessing to me it really has um, and I'm so thankful for this sermon series because it's helped me get a little bit more comfortable with what's uncomfortable. And it's been hard, like, revealing myself and just trying to be the real me and raw. But um, just knowing that um, I, I'm so loved and known, I mean, there's just nothing better. Come up, please. And I guess what, what I want to say is it's very homogenous where I live. I live in Brexville, Ohio, and everybody looks like me. And when I see people of different race, and color, I am so pleased because I know Jesus died for all of us mm -hmm. and for all of us to come together. And I just get so excited when I see people like sitting right behind me that they know Jesus Christ like I know Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. And it just warms my heart. Thank you for sharing that. What was your name again? My name is Kathy. Thanks for visiting, Kathy. Mike. Hey, man. You're a good pastor, Peter. Hi. <laughs> um, my name is Mike Chen. I wrote that email to Pastor Peter, and I really just want to thank my small group. Um, As, I, as Pastor Peter shared, that what happened earlier this week really hit me in a place that um, struck me deep. And I didn't have to say one word to my group. 
I didn't have to tell them what I was thinking. I didn't have to tell them how much I was hurt by it. They just went there. They really just stepped up. And so, like, if, if my smoke good, please just, guys, stand up, please. I know I'm calling you out right now on the last minute, but please stand up, stand up, stand up. <laughs> stand up, come on, guys. Stand up, stand up. This is my small group. Yes, small group. This is my small group. Small group, small group, small group. I did not have to share anything about my culture, and I, I just knew that being in community with them, they valued that part of me. They cared about that part of me, and especially in a society where, quite frankly, most people don't know anything beyond kung fu movies and take out, like, it was so affirming. They didn't avoid the topic. They didn't, they didn't shy away from it. They delved right into mm. that nitty-gritty, uncomfortable place yeah. about a multi-ethnic church. And they just went there. And I am so proud of you guys for it. And it means so much to me that you guys did what you did. And so I just wanted to say thank you guys. When you have time for a couple more, yeah. Shilpi? I preach like 20 minutes shorter than I normally do for this, so please come on up. Here we go. Um, I'm also a part of that small group. Oh, you Um, are? I am. Okay. Why don't we just have your entire small group come on up, okay? Um, So they, clearly, there's a lot of racial reconciliation in that small group. Um, I am Indian. My boyfriend, Pavan, who also you might have seen around here, is also Indian. Um, we both come from Hindu families. Both of us accepted Christ um, separate from that. So that's been a journey. <laughs> um, and all of these guys have been the most supportive people ever. Um, we just had Pradeep and Laura's wedding, and the ladies wore saris and embraced the culture in a way that humbles me so much. <laughs> Um, Because I never thought I would be amongst other believers who would wear saris and affirm that Christ is not just a Western religion. Because that's what I hear at home. Um, And I've heard criticisms of, like, just that I want to be white or something, whatever. Um, My parents have an image of Christianity. And if you look at that small group, we are all so mixed and all meet each other where we are at and try to learn about each other's cultures and are so respectful of each other. So I just love them. And like, like Amber said, they just every week I'm humbled, humbled, humbled by where they meet me. So you guys know where to go to if you want to join a small group. Come on over. <laughs> no, they're full. There's like 30 people in their small group. They can't take any more people. Hi. Hi. I'm Ellen. I'm not in that small group. <laughs> um, I grew up in really conservative uh, West Michigan and grew up in a church that was very homogenous and um, still is. And not only is homogenous, but really thrives off of... Um, being comfortable and draws people in to be comfortable. Um, And when I was there, I had a lot of inner conflict and I had a lot of being there for a long time and feeling really empty and not being able to understand why and not being able to communicate that to my community who I had there, my family. Um, And I left that church with a lot of bitterness, um, a lot of anger, a lot of doubt, um, but mostly just a lot of confusion for, you know, how can there be such a big community of Christians who uh, leave me feeling this way every week on Sunday. Um, And this sermon series has really just given me clarity on uh, where that's coming from and has replaced that bitterness that I've had for that community with um, just a broken heart for them. And... um, I mean, I don't know if I will go back there or not. And, um, I, you know, I hope to be able to share this with them and 
uh, be able to share these things that I, I have so much hope for them and, and just see um, just what they're missing out on and um, not having a community who is diverse and who's different from them and um, not feeling that need for people who are different. So um, that's been a big, a big healing for me. Hi, my name is Andrea, and obviously I'm very white, um, but sometimes I wish that I was African. <laughs> um, my first trip to Ghana, actually, I just felt like I was coming home. I felt like the way they sing and they eat and they dance and they worship, just like pouring sweat for three hours nonstop. I'm like, these are my people, you know? And the biggest compliment I feel like I get from Africans sometimes in Africa is like, you're actually not, you know, American. You're... Ugandan or and I realized like to me that actually was a compliment for some time but I think I'm realizing more and more I can't be ashamed of being white or just stuck in being guilty for being white um and I've actually heard you know authors that are white like me who love Africa saying like actually when I get to heaven I'm gonna be black and at first I was like okay (laughs) I I totally understand that because I think I've been there where I want to be something that I'm not but I actually realize we, we as white people or Chinese or Korean or African-American, we need to be proud and like go deep with who you are and where you're at so that you can represent the redeemed gospel. Like this is who we are. So I'm going, I'm learning to be more proud of being white, if that makes sense. Um, and being also humble to be in a culture um, where there's such a reversal of power, you know, in Africa and even here, um, trying to really articulate that and demonstrate that through my life and through my actions. And one of the things that my my best Ugandan friend said to me, she was like, I don't know what tribe you're from. (laughs) And I think, like, what Peter was saying today about having that third race, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, mate, that's that's what I want. That's what I want with, and I feel like that's what we are. Um, not that when I see you, I don't, oh yeah, I don't see color. I think that's, I think that's terrible. Like to be, oh, I don't see your black. I don't see your Korean. I see the beauty of your blackness. I love your black skin. I love your black hair. I love everything about you. Um, and I want that to be something that we see and not devalue it or make it all blurred out as one color, but really like God made us to be unique and beautiful. So I'm still growing in that. So thank you. Omar, did you want to share? Yeah. Worship team, Omar, get the last word. Morning, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Omar. Uh, I look white, but I'm Hispanic, uh, so I'm going to speak a little bit on behalf of the Hispanic community. Um, so I'm Colombian, Argentine. Both my parents are from South America. And I grew up in a neighborhood that was, um, you kind of had, you know, the white American kids would play in their group, and then you have a lot of the immigrant kids kind of in their own group. So um, that was just my upbringing. So I've always had a chip on my shoulder uh, whenever encountering or engaging in uh, what my family, I guess, would call white, white community, because we're white, but we're Latino. So white, white is like your white American, I guess. I'm not meaning to offend anybody. That's just to articulate um, so I've been working for a Hispanic community uh, for six years um, in Humble Park, Westside Chicago, um, where there's just a lot of pride in our culture and our heritage. And, uh, you know, I've been doing communications for about seven months, and we were looking about any production house, uh, people who do video work to create a promotional video. And we called and called and we called, you know, Univision and Telemundo and all the, you know, news anchors that we knew and journalists and anyone who would have a connection to a videographer who had production experience. Um, 
And after three or four months of looking and not finding anyone within our own community, Matt Steven, Matt Stevens moves to Chicago and he comes out of nowhere. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you, you know. And he comes in, and um, what hit me the most is, you know, he's not Latino, but he comes in with all of his best equipment, you know, and for week after week, he's just coming in and just engaging the people in the Latino community and listening and empathizing with the struggles they've gone through, single parenthood, poverty, gun violence, drug abuse in the home, domestic violence, all the stuff that, all the junk that my people struggle against. And Matt came in as a brother, um, and it really just hit me, and it, I think it was a huge testimony to the people that I work with, that um, God, God is a God who, who brings children from all cultures together, and there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and that's something that Christ does, and that's something that he displayed through, through Matt. Um, so I, I had, something has to be said about that, because it's, you know, you just don't hear about this all the time, and, um. I just wanted to thank you, Matt, for um, taking the time out from, uh, from your life. Um, and that while he was looking for a job, by the way. So not knowing how God would provide for his family and his son and his wife, but came in through kind of our need and really met that. And I, that's just a real Christ-like thing. So anyways, that's the short of it. Thanks for sharing that, Omar. Church, let's all stand together. God, even as we gaze and gain a glimpse of what awaits us for eternity, even as we sing, God, of this incredible picture that awaits, a destiny that awaits your church, even as we celebrate and affirm, God, the work that you have done in our doing, may this song be our mission call. May this song be our challenge, God, that what we sing about here on earth, even as we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that we would, Father, be sent out to make into reality that which is already true. The kingdom picture that you've already accomplished in Jesus in his death and resurrection. Spirit of God, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, move in our place, move among us, move in this church community, move in this new race of people that you are creating. Spirit of God, break down barriers, break down dividing walls that we still resurrect, that we still hold on to, that we still, in our man-made ways, stay within our fortresses, cause us, challenge us, push us out beyond our comfort zones, beyond our comfort zones, God, into the world for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Jesus. Father, help us to be people who will authentically mourn and weep for the brokenness we see around us. But also at the same time, be people who will fix our eyes on the cross and the empty tomb. And empowered by your gospel and the Holy Spirit, move out and make our prayer, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, a reality. Help us to be people who are genuine and authentic in our life together. We thank you for the glimpses of the power of God at work in this church. And may those glimpses motivate and empower us to continue to persevere and pursue reconciliation in its complete holistic form in our lives, in our city, and for the world.
today, I'm going to ask the prayer team, as they always do, to be up front. If your heart's sitting heavy, you have prayer that you need prayers for, I want to encourage you to come on up. Hold that brother or sister's hand. Let them put their arms around you and pray for you. Church, we're going to finish this mini-series journey next Sunday. I want to encourage you to invite people to be a part of witnessing a glimpse of heaven here on earth. Let them see it. Let them witness it and ask lots of questions as you journey with them. May the Lord go before you. May the Lord go beside you. May Emmanuel, our God, with us go with you as you live your life out for his kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week, church, family. We'll see you back here next Sunday.